faith and now take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And uh, just a brief reminder of what we were looking at last week. Uh, we finished up the subject of answered prayer. And John used praying for a believer that's living in sin as an example of what we can see in granted prayer. And we also saw what the sin unto death is. It's not uh, necessarily one particular sin, but rather whatever sin is in the final tolerance of God per individual. But now uh, we see John, as he gets ready to end this letter, he shifts the focus. And the end of this letter is a charge to believers to guard themselves. Now, our culture, while they're very careless about many things, they are really good about guarding against certain things. We guard ourselves against fraud by taking security precautions. We are all about guarding ourselves against crime by maybe setting up security cameras and locking our doors. We're good about guarding ourselves from sickness, maybe by taking vitamins, or some people will take vaccines and, uh, and get those, but many people will even take extreme measures to guard themselves from dangerous things like that or other dangers, but all the while, they do absolutely nothing to guard themselves against the sin of idolatry. And that's what John brings up in our text this morning. We're going to see that John urges these believers to guard themselves and to keep themselves from idolatry. And uh, today, I, with John, urge you to do the same. In our world today, it is full of idolatry. And, and back in John's day, we're going to see it was full of idolatry as well. Uh, there are many that are consumed with it. And they do nothing to guard against it. They just lie in the, the pit of idolatry with no intention of getting out. But look, if you're a Christian today, that should not be the case for you. You should not be okay with living your life in idolatry. Amen. And unfortunately, and listen, this is so sad, but unfortunately, idolatry has crept into the church. Amen. And it has be just become full-blown in the lives of many believers to the point they don't even hide it anymore. They just live their life in idolatry and, and they don't even care. But look, in order to live the real Christian life, which by the way is a life that God intends us to live, we need to keep ourselves and guard ourselves from idols. And look, did you know that, Christian? Listen, this morning, did you know that God wants you to live a Christianity that is real? He wants you to live the real Christian life life. He wants you to have a genuine relationship with Him. He wants you to have, like John talks about, the fullness of joy. But we can only have a true and genuine relationship with God if we guard ourselves against idols. And by the way, we need to live the real Christian life. Amen. And by the way, the world needs you to live the real Christian life so that you can declare the glory of God with effectiveness. And by the way, our church needs you to live the real Christian life. Amen. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, things that are not real, but in our life, man, a Christian life should be real. And this is why, before John gives that final command, which, by the way, it seems kind of random, it seems kind of sudden, but this is why, before John gives this command, that he, he, he reminds these believers of certain realities. And we're going to look at this important truth today. And I want you to just consider it before we get into the text. What in my life is an idol? Amen. 
What in my life has turned my heart away from the Lord? What in my life is standing in the way of me and God? And maybe you are as the world is. Maybe you're here and you're not saved and and Satan has stopped you from trusting and turning to Christ. Maybe you're looking at this Christianity thing and you're just like, man, I'm not really sure about it. I don't quite understand. Or maybe you are a believer here this morning and uh, an idol has interfered with your relationship with God. It's damaged and it's hindered the great relationship with God that you once had. You used to have a real walk with God, but now you just put on that mask every single week and you just go to church to say that you that you went and you put on that form of godliness while you live in idol worship to something else. We need God to move in our hearts this morning. We need the Lord to help us with this problem of idolatry. As I said, it has crept into the church and it is just in the lives of many believers. So let's look at 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 18. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 18, We know that whatsoever or whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Dear God, help us this morning. I pray you'll give us what we need from your word. God, we know that idolatry is a real thing in our day. And I pray that you'll help us to just keep ourselves from idols and that we'll flee from them. I pray you'll just help us to make you the number one priority in our life because that truly is what you deserve. I pray, Lord, that you'll help me as I preach a word, help me to do it uh, with boldness and uh, clarity. And I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody here that's never trusted in you as their personal Savior, that today will be the day of salvation and that you'll just help them to take the blinders off and, and to have faith in you. And we love you, God, and we thank you for what you're going to do this morning. In your holy name, amen. In these final four verses of the book, 1 John, John uses the three verses before that very last charge to explain to these believers that they understand and they know the truth of Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to just take note of some of these truths before we hone in on that last verse. And these basic and simple truths that John talks about, it really just lays the foundation for his final charge. And the purpose of John writing what he does in these verses that we read before that last one is to encourage these believers that he's writing to to live in reality. Now, our culture is full of people that do not live in reality. You understand that it's a normal thing today for people to live in a fantasy. There are people that uh, have, you know, we've heard of virtual reality, right? It's a big thing. You put those big goggles on your head uh, and it's virtual reality. We have Facebook reality and Instagram reality and we have reality television. We just like to live in a fantasy because we know none of that is actually reality. But the point of John writing this letter and the point of John writing what he wrote, of what we read this morning... It helps to see the reality that we have in Christ, and it should drive us to live it out as a result. The essence of what John is saying is this, the things of God has purpose, because He is the real thing. And because He is the real thing, and because it has purpose, we should live in accordance to this reality. And these realities will help us live out a Christianity that is real. 
And look, I don't know about you, but I want to live a, a, a real and spirit-filled and spirit-led Christian life that has meaning and purpose. There's no reason to fake it. There's no, there's no purpose in faking it. And if you're faking a walk with God today, listen, stop wasting your time. Because God knows. You can fake me out. You can fake your church members out. But guess what? God knows. So stop wasting your time. Stop being fake. And look, living for an idol, it serves absolutely no purpose. It's foolishness. And the truth of this foolishness is revealed in Psalm chapter 135. Let's go there. Psalm chapter 135. If you are living for an idol, you are not living in reality. And Psalm 135 shows us that. Psalm 135, verse 15. The Bible says, in Psalm 135, start with verse 15, it says, The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Man, what is that saying? That's some pretty strong words there. He's saying, hey, serving idols serves no purpose. There's no point to it. And he says, the, the psalmist here says that those that make them and those that trust in them, those that worship them, they are just as useless as the idols themselves. It's not reality. We're not, when we're serving idols, we're not living in reality. But the key word in our text, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 to 21, the key word in that passage is know. know knowing. Knowledge. And John informs us, informs us of these several realities that we're going to look at this morning. And look, what we know will set the course for how we live. What we know will affect how we conduct ourselves. And if we really know the truth, we are going to live out the truth. And if I know the reality of Christ, and I know who God is, I will forsake idols. I will live for that which is real. So what do we know? Well, I'm going to just briefly go through several things just to lay the foundation for the final verse. First, we know that God keeps us. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5 again. One of the realities that John mentions is the fact that God keeps us. Look at 1 John 5, verse 18. The Bible says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Now in this, we've talked about this before, we see the truth that if you're a believer in Christ, you are not going to be able to live your life living in sin and be okay with it. Listen, you're going to be miserable. If you're really a child of God and you live in sin, you're not going to be able to do so happily. You're not going to do it. And if you can do it, I would strongly encourage you to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. But not only that, John also tells us that those that are born of God, it says, keepeth himself. And what that means is that God is the one that is presently keeping you in the state that you're in. Now, what state is that? Well, for all believers, the state that we're kept in is in Christ. And this is an important truth that cannot be stressed enough. I am kept by the power of God. My salvation has nothing to do with how good I am. It has nothing to do with how well I follow the Bible. It has nothing to do with my behavior. It all falls on Jesus Christ and His finished work at the cross. And if you want to put your salvation on you, then I don't know what's wrong with you. 
It has nothing to do with you. You are saved by God and you are kept by God. And that's the Bible truth. But we've recently seen that John says, you know, you can know that you have eternal life. We know that Peter says that we are kept by the power of God. Not the power of myself, but the power of God through faith unto salvation. It's God that keeps us and this is a reality. But secondly, second reality that John mentions is the fact that Satan cannot harm us. Look at verse 18. Again, look at the end of verse 18. It says, and that wicked one toucheth him not. This goes right along with the, the first reality. It goes hand in hand together. Uh, we are kept by the power of God, and praise the Lord, there's nothing that Satan can do about it. And John uses that word, toucheth, and it comes from a Greek word that means assail. It has the idea of laying a hold of or grasping with the purpose of harming. You just imagine somebody getting angry with another person, and as a result, they lay hands on them with the purpose of harming them. If somebody's upset, and they grab hold of the person that they're upset with, they're not doing it to give them a hug. They want to hurt them, right? They want to harm them. So that's what this is saying here. The verse is saying that those that are saved are kept by God, and Satan cannot harm us. This means that we're no longer under the influence of Satan. This means that Satan does not have the ability to sway those that are in Christ. Well, how can this be? Because as this verse says, we are of God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that pushes us towards righteousness and away from wickedness. And because of Christ, we've been delivered from the power of Satan. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 3 of Galatians chapter 1. Paul writes here in verse 3, Grace be to you, and peace from God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. You see that? Christ has delivered his children from the power of this evil world, and that word delivered means that he has rescued us. And I thank God I've been rescued. I've been rescued from the power of Satan. I've been rescued uh, from this evil world. And a big part, really, of the evil work, uh, of course, is the fact that Satan, he is the prince of the power of the air. You understand, Paul mentioned it this morning, prior to salvation, we did that which Satan desired. And he had the ability to lay hold on us. He had the ability to touch us, but he no longer holds that power. Ephesians 2, 2 says, wherein in times past ye walked. That's past tense. Ye walked according to the course of this uh, world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So before salvation, we walked in the way of the evil world, and we lived in accordance to uh, what Satan wanted us to do, but he no longer has that power because Christ has delivered us. So because he's delivered us, we have the ability to overcome Satan. We have the ability to overcome temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to 1 John. Look at chapter 2. This is a truth we've seen before, but I want to uh, just remind you of it. In 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 13. There's so many Christians that live their life in defeat, and there's no need of it. There's no reason to live in defeat of Satan because you have overcome the wicked one. Satan cannot touch you. 
Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. The Bible says, I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because ye have known the father. I have written unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Hey, look, those that abide in God, they have overcome Satan through Christ. And because Christ has overcome, we can daily overcome sin as we walk in the Spirit. We can daily, as we just follow God, we are able to walk in the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is a reality for those that are in Christ. This is a reality for those that are saved. But while this is true for those that are in Christ, it is not true for those that are in darkness. And that's the third thing, the third reality that we see Let's go back to 1 John 5. We see that the lost live in subjection to Satan. Look at verse 19 of 1 John chapter 5. It says, And we know, there's that word again, that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. So the, the saved, they know that they are of God. They know that they cannot be harmed by Satan. But this is not the case for the lost. And by the way, I find this verse very interesting and really horrifying if I'm a lost person. I, I find this really scary. If, if I'm a lost person and I, I see, oh wow, what this is saying, I would be afraid. Because that word lieth there, it means held in subjection. So just imagine somebody pinning you to the ground. You're unable to move. You're, you're bound by them. That's what this is saying. Well, what is the world bound to? What are they held in subjection to? According to that passage, look at it there. It says wickedness. But that word wickedness, that is simply referring to Satan himself. So John's saying, the whole world, they are in subjection to Satan. They're bound to do the evil work of Satan because they are, they are under his subjection and their heart is naturally evil. Now what's interesting about this is that if you were to ask the average person that's lost today, and living for themselves, and, and just uh, consumed with idol worship, whatever that may be, and whatever that may look like, if you were to ask them, hey, who do you live in subjection to? You know what they would say? Myself. I do what I want to do. I live for me. I, I do what I want. I, I do it when I want. They believe that they live in subjection to themselves, but the truth is, church, they live in subjection to Satan, because their father is the devil, and they do his work. And Jesus Christ, he spoke of this truth concerning religious leaders in his day. And it's so for the lost today. Let's go to John chapter 8. Some of you probably know where we're going with this. John chapter 8. Look at John chapter 8 verse 44. Well, actually, let's look at verse 42 goes right along with it. The Bible says in John 8, 42, he says, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Man, this is some strong words by Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus was not a softy. 
He spoke the truth. And he tells us here the truth that there are only two people, two types of people that exist in the world. The children of God and the children of Satan. So as Jesus said in John chapter 8, the children of Satan are going to do that which Satan wants them to do. Look, a son will manifest his father's characteristics. So if you're a child of Satan, you're going to do what Satan does. If you're a child of God, you're going to love God and you're going to do what God does. But Satan, he has no truth in him. He's a liar. He's a father of it. And those that live for themselves, they, they're not really living for themselves. They are living to the pleasure of Satan, their father. And while the truth of Christ may be right in front of them, they reject him because they believe the lies of the devil, because they have blind, been blinded by Satan and they are under his subjection. But thank God believers are not. Hey, listen, if you're not under Satan's subjection this morning, you should be praising the Lord. The fact that you know that you have eternal life, that should cause you to praise him. Uh, and he, John explains here again, we are of God. So here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you are living in subjection to Satan, we, we see good news in this. The good news is that you don't have to live in subjection to Satan anymore. You can get out of it. How do you get out of it? By turning to Christ. You get out of the subjection of Satan by turning to Christ. If you're living in his subjection, you can be delivered from it. You can become a child of God by trusting in Christ for forgiveness and for reconciliation to God. And this is reality. And this is a truth that we know. Fourthly, let's go back to 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 20. The fourth thing we know, or you could say the reality, the fourth reality is just the simple truth of Christ. Look at verse 20 of 1 John chapter 5. It says, And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is really powerful. As I said in the beginning here, that this word know is a, key pa- is a key word in this passage, and this knowing is a knowledge by experience. What do we know? According to that verse, we know that Christ has come. We know that we are in Him, and we know that Christ is truly the Son of God. So, a key to avoiding error, a key to staying out of idolatry, and the key to living a genuine Christian life is what? Knowing Christ. That is the key. It's simple, but it's profound. Look, we need to know Christ. The more intimately that we know Christ, the more intimately that we know God, that right there, that will keep us from idolatry. That will keep us from idols. And we see the personality and the character of God by looking to Christ. And if we know God, then we will be kept from that which is untrue. And it's so sad But today there are many Christians that are very ignorant of who God is. They make absolutely no effort to know God. They're clueless about the the holiness, the beauty, the wonder, the power, and and, and just the, the, the purity of God. And for that cause, many fall into idolatry. But unlike those that are blinded by Satan that John talks about, God has given us the ability to have understanding. 
He's given us the ability to know Him. And, and we can, just like Paul, we can know Him and the power of His resurrection. We can know the truth. We have the capability to know God intimately. Now remember, John was combating false doctrine of those that were infiltrating the church. And these people did not know the truth of Christ. They were being blinded by Satan. And John warns these believers, he says, to avoid the idol of false doctrine among other idols. That's part of the, the, the idols that he was referring to. It's the idol of false doctrine. And he encourages these believers in their ability to know the truth as he's done before. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2. He, he tells us in 1 John chapter 2 that we have the ability, the capability to understand the truth. Look at 1 John 2 verse 20. The Bible says in 1 John 2 verse 20, he says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is a Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So he's telling us right there, hey, look, if you're, if you're saved, if you've trusted in Christ, you have the ability to know the truth. You have the ability to know Christ more. You have the unction of the Holy Spirit that gives you the understanding of God and uh, the things of God and His character. And by the way, the more that you know God, the more easily you can spot error, the more easily you can spot false doctrine, and the more easily you can avoid falling into idolatry. A simple illustration of this is found, as Paul's used this before in Sunday school, is just found in the dollar bill. You know, you've got a couple bankers here uh, in our congregation, but uh, the, often those that are, uh, work at a bank, they are trained to familiarize themselves with legitimate bills. Why? So that they can spot the fakes. The, the reason for this is because the more that they handle and the, the more that they feel and, and see genuine dollar bills, the more likely they are to spot a fake. And the same is for the believer. The more you familiar, familiarize yourself with God and His Word and His character and His personality and the truth, the more you know Him, the more easily you're going to be able to spot false doctrine. And I've, I've said this already, but man, there's just so many Christians that they are clueless about the things of God and they just fall right into false doctrine because they do not know God and they do not know the Bible. But when we grasp the truth of, of God's word, the world's lies are easy to recognize. And one of, the, one of the biggest lies of Satan and one of the biggest lies of the world is the lie that idolatry is acceptable. That's a huge lie. And more and more Christians are falling into this. But if I know Christ, I will know the worthlessness of idols. All idols are useless, they're lifeless, they're a substitute for the real thing. Well, what is the real thing? The real thing is God. He is the original. Everything else is just a copy. And as a Christian, we need to recognize when something is coming in between my relationship with God. And that is an idol. This is reality. So because of this reality, this leads us to the final part of the message, which is really the application of all of it. Lastly, let's go back to 1 John chapter 5. Lastly, we see the simple truth that we must guard against idolatry. And this has been leading up to this point and been mentioned several times, but look at verse 21. And by the way, when we know God, we will do this. We will guard against idolatry. But look at verse 21. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. John used that familiar phrase there, little children. And by the way, this is not condescending at all. He's not saying this uh, in a way that would be offensive. He is really 
uh, using this as a kind and pastoral address as somebody that just cares about his flock. He does not want them to be led astray. Um, and after he writes this whole letter of really fundamental teachings, fundamentals of the faith, he ends this letter with a very seemingly sudden command, hey, just keep yourself from idols. Guard against idolatry. And John did this because he knew that just because Satan cannot control us, just because he cannot touch us, it does not mean that we cannot fall into idolatry. It happens. So as John's laid out all these truths, it's led up to this point of keeping ourselves from idols. And and that word keep, it simply means to guard. Guard. Guard yourselves against idols. You might say, well, why would I do that? Why would I guard myself against idols? Well, the reason is because it's harmful. Hey, listen, you're not going to want to involve yourself in things that are harmful. If you see uh, an electric fence and it says, this, this works, this is on, you're going to get electrocuted if you touch this. You'd be foolish to go up to it and to touch it, right? You're going to guard yourself from it. You're going to keep away from it. But the command to keep ourselves from idols from this passage, it is an imperative command. It is, made, uh, in, it is an active verb. It's something that we actively have to do. And in the days of John, again, not only was the idol of false doctrine rampant, but literal idol worship was as well. And at the time of this writing, John, he was living at Ephesus, which, by the way, was one of the greatest centers of idolatry in the Roman world. This, the primary goddess of Ephesus, by the way, was at the time Diana. And this is why John put this in this verse. And in fact, the, the temple of Diana was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And one of the the chief occupations at this time was people that made and sold idols. And Diana, she was simply a Greek goddess of the moon. So uh, the Temple of Diana, I had a picture up there uh, ready to go, but I guess we don't have it. Uh, But the Temple of Diana in Ephesus was believed to have been supported by over 120 pillars it was, uh, each, each pillar was 60 feet high. It was decorated with great sculptures. And uh, the gravity of idol worship for this goddess Diana is recorded in the Bible as Paul himself experienced it. Let's go to Acts chapter 19 and look at this. Now we, say to, we would say in our day, man, idol worship is everywhere. There's idolatry all over the place. Well, so, so it was in Paul's day. So it was in John's day. Uh, idolatry is not a new thing. Look at Acts chapter 19. Look at verse 26. It says, Moreover, ye see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed. And notice what it says, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, in the context of this, a man was confronting Paul because he was an idol maker, and the idol makers were losing business because Paul preached Christ. 
So these idols, the, the, the people that were involved in the, the making of idols were in somewhat of a recession. And what a great recession that would be. What a great thing to lose business from. I think that's pretty awesome that Paul did this. He had part in uh, doing this with the help, of course, of God and the gospel. But these verses show us the gravity of idol worship at this time. As, as I, I said, it says, all Asia and the world worshipeth. So idolatry was full-blown. And because of the worship of this goddess Diana, it was so widespread. And as John, he was located in Ephesus at this time, there's no doubt that some of the Christians that John was writing to most likely were saved out of idolatry. And when you get saved out of idolatry, or, or even when you are surrounded by idolatry like they would be here, there would be great pressure to conform to it. There would be great pressure to fall back into it. And Ephesus was consumed with idolatry, and it was everywhere. And truly, as the world lied in subjection to Satan and they were consumed with idolatry back then, it's the same way now. The, the world is consumed with idolatry. But as I've said in the beginning, this should not be the case for the Christian. Matthew 4, verse 10, Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So because believers know the truth, John tells them to keep themselves from idols so that they will live out the truth. He tells them to live out what is real, not what is fake. He tells them to live for the eternal, not the temporary. He says, keep yourselves from idols. And in this we see a contrast between the lifestyle of the world and the lifestyle of the saved. Because we know the reality of Christ, we need to guard against that which is false and without purpose. And that, of course, is idolatry. Now, again, idolatry has crept into the church. Idolatry is in the lives of many believers and it's full blown for many. It's not even a secret. And I just simply marvel at the fact that there are many people that claim to love God while they are openly consumed with idolatry. They live their lives totally contrary to scripture. They say one thing and they live another. They do not live in reality, but they just put on that facade. And if you are living in idol worship in any shape, any way, shape or form, then you do not love God and you do not view him as you should. If you are living in idolatry, your relationship with God is not existence. And we know this because Matthew also says, Jesus said this, No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And in fact, uh, in the, the, the command, have no other gods before the one true God is the first of the Ten Commandments that are listed in Exodus chapter 20. And God takes this very seriously because he is a jealous God. And by the way, he has a right to be. Because the fact that we would worship anything besides him, again, it's pointless. So as John says, guard yourselves from idols. What does that look like for us today? Again, back in, in the days of John, people were worshiping uh, graven images. But very few people today worship idols of wood and idols of metals as they did back in Ephesus. But idolatry in other forms is very, very, very present. One preacher said that the heart is itself an idol-making factory. And it is. We're just, our, our heart naturally gravitates and just creates idols and, and we're just consumed with self-worship. And this is why we need to do as Proverbs 4.23 says, and keep thy heart. Guard 
your heart against idolatry. So what is an idol today? What is it that we need to guard against? Well, an idol is simply anything that controls my life. It is anything that gets between me and God. It is anything that stops me from walking with Him. It is anything that takes preeminence over God. And it can look different for many people. But ask yourself this question, has an idol taken over? And if you're like, well, I don't really know, I'm not sure, well, ask yourself this question then. Is what you are living for consistent with who God is and what He commands? Is the way that you're living your life consistent with what God wills? Now, just as I said, the fact that the the heart is an idol-making factor, this is why we need to ask God to examine our hearts. Show us. Because, again, it can happen so easily. And we may not even know it. But there are so many idols that grab the attention and the mind of believers today and it causes us to go contrary to the truth of God. For some, I mean, I could not list, I could not begin to list every idol that there is. But I want to mention some of the more prominent ones. For some, it could be the idol of self-focus. We just only focus on ourselves and only on our needs and our desires, despite the fact that the Bible tells us in Philippians 2.4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It could be the idol of money, which is a huge one. Uh, this idol makes itself manifest in many different forms, but you may say, okay, well, when is money an idol? Look, money's not necessarily a bad thing. Man, money can do a lot of good things. It can help people. It can get the gospel out. It can uh, help a church. But when is money an idol? Money is an idol. When looking to gain, it causes me to be taken away from the things of God. The love of money is the root of all evil. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And so many people have put their jobs and their wants and their riches ahead of God. All the while, at the end of their life, it amounts to absolutely nothing because you cannot take it with you. How about the idol of sin? And we could just, I could get a whole long list of, of, of sins that are, have become idols in Christians' lives. It could be the idol of a hobby or a family. And just the idol of complacency when it comes to the worship of the house of God. It's so unfortunate, but hobbies and family have become really a major idol in the lives of many Christians. And it's taking Christians out of church week in and week out. You know, people literally have the mindset at times... Yeah, you know, I'll be in church as long as the weather is not too nice and my family does not want to go fishing or do some other fun activity. Well, you know what? God still wants you to be in church even if it's 90 degrees out and sunny. And I know you're here today and praise God for that. But it's unfortunate that we often trade that which is best for that which is good. Hey, listen, Christ is best. The things of God are best. And hobbies and families, are, they're, they're truly good and they're a wonderful part of life, but they should not interfere with our God and our growing love for Him. And it's so sad, but the idol of hobbies and family and complacency has plagued the church. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that we are to be meeting and assembling together so much the more as you see the day approaching. But guess what? Because people worship themselves and they worship their leisure, church Many, many churches, they assemble less and less. Fewer churches assemble even for a midweek prayer service, which, by the way, I think that is the most important service of the entire week because we are to pray for one another. How do you know what to pray for if you don't show up? How do you know what to pray for if we don't have it? But because 
God's people have often fallen into idol worship. They do not show up. And it's not because they can't show up. It's because they don't want to show up. They just won't show up. And you know what? It's a shame that so many heathens are more dedicated to their false gods than Christians are of the true God. That's a shame. You know, we got more people uh, that are more dedicated to worship uh, Buddha and Muhammad and Mary and to pray to some false god than most Christians are to worship and to pray to the living God. That's a terrible thing, the fact that, that heathens and people that are lost and on their way to hell would be more dedicated to a false god than a Christian is to the living God. Fewer and fewer churches are even meeting on Sunday nights for the exact same reason, because they've come, become complacent in their worship. They, they've, they've just allowed idolatry to take over. And this, for this cause, many churches, they just say, you know what, forget it. We're not going to have midweek service anymore because nobody shows up. We're not going to have Sunday night service anymore because nobody's coming. And it's a terrible thing that even for Christians, for many Christians, sitting on their couch while they watch Hulu or Netflix is much more important than hearing from God. It's a sad thing. Having fun at the lake is more important than fellowshipping with other believers. Having extra time of relaxation is, is more important than exhorting the brethren and using their spiritual gifts. Listen, you cannot get enough church. You cannot get enough of God. And if you can, then something is seriously wrong. And I'll tell you what it is. You're worshiping an idol. That's what's wrong. So to have the, the fellowship of believers and the exhortation of God's word, you know, it should be something that we long for. To have this should be something that we desire and that we just cannot get enough of. But unfortunately, due to our lack of love for God and our love of self, so many people, they just fit God into their, their schedule just as little as possible. And they just go about their life without really worshiping Him. And this is why many believers have no prayer life. This is why many believers don't hardly ever uh, read their Bible. This is why many are not faithful to God's house because they love themselves more than God. They become, as Paul said, lovers of their own selves. You know, my, my wife hates grocery shopping. And uh, I, I think a lot of people don't like it. But a lot of people, they'll treat the things of God and the house of God like they do grocery shopping. They don't really like it. They don't really want to go. But they do it because they have to. They may do it once a week or a couple times a week just to get it over with because they have to do it. That should not be the way that we treat God's house. We should be treating the Lord and His house like we do our favorite meal. We should be having a, a longing desire and a hunger to partake in the things of God as much as possible. And we can only have a real relationship with God if we are truly looking to Him and loving Him. And idolatry, whether it's obvious or whether it's subtle, it will always choke out a relationship with God. It will always damage our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's no wonder that John ends this really wonderful letter with the fact that we need to keep ourselves from idols. This is why Paul wrote in Corinthians those two little words, flee idolatry. You notice that he doesn't say, you know, just go up to the edge of idolatry. Just make sure you don't fall in. No, he says, flee from it. Go the opposite direction of it. Now, so many just get so close to idolatry as they possibly can. But God says, you need to flee from it because he knows how damaging it is. So look, how do we keep ourselves in guard against idols? 
We flee from it and we set our mind on Christ. We flee from idols and we run to Christ. The best way that we can guard from idols is by knowing God. Knowing His character, knowing His personality, knowing His word, and just keeping ourselves away from the things of the world that occupy our mind and and get our attention and our focus back where it belongs, and that's on Christ. It all goes back to our view of God. You know, if my view of God is not right, then money can be my idol. If if my view of God is not right, then self-focus or hobbies or friends or family or false doctrine or anything cannot, can, is just able to be my idol because God's not in his proper place. Listen, church, God deserves to be number one. He deserves to be number one. He deserves preeminence in our life. And he will have it if we know him more. If we see Christ for who he really is and we know him, we'll stay true to him. When we know God, it is then that we can keep ourselves from idols. So the challenge for us all this morning is to get to know God more. Get in the book. Get in church more. Have a prayer life. Talk about the word of God. Know him more. It is then that you'll be able to be kept from idols. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.